Book of Revelation, chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 12 through 20 for tonight and spend a little time on the Lord Jesus His revelation about himself, our great high priest. Uh, revelation chapter 1, verse 12, the scriptures share this. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. <coughs> Write the things which thou seest, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest is my, in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. These seven golden lampstands, or they're called candlesticks here, represent the seven churches, and they would be pitiful if it wasn't for what we find in the very next verse in the midst of them, verse 13, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. We don't want to make too much out of verse 13, but we want to make a great deal out of verse 14 and 15 and 16. Now, <clears throat> these seven candlesticks are lit with oil, and the oil has to be supplied. There's nothing that a church has outside of Christ. There is no light outside of Christ. There is no warmth outside of Christ. There is nothing outside of Christ. They're dead outside of Christ. There is nothing there but a social club. And that's what they become if Christ is not the center. Now, the Old Testament priests were nothing more than types and shadows and pictures. 
And there are some things here in these verses that I want to speak on, and then I'd like to spend my time most of the night on the high priest that is pictured here. And I, and I know it will be tedious, but I'd like to read part of a chapter out of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, that shares with us the view of Aaron as he was being prepared for the priesthood, and then to look at some verses in the book of Hebrews that share with us our Savior. And there is a companion passage of Scripture with this, and it's found in the Song of Solomon. So before we go anywhere, would you turn with me to the Song of Solomon chapter 5? The Song of Solomon chapter 5. Now there, it's companion because it's a description of our Savior, but there are some variables, some differences that are mentioned here that we do not find in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we see our Savior on his throne after his ascension, after his ministry and work on the earth. We see him as our mediator. We see him as our great high priest. We see him different in some senses because the words he used from the, the cross, it is finished, are truly evident as we look at the Lord in the book of Revelation, in particular in this passage of Scripture. Now, over in the Song of Solomon, we have some thoughts there that uh, this description that the church gives of the Lord that uh, are some different just because of the perspective that the church has of the Lord at this particular time. Now, I, I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just a different attitude that we have about looking at our Lord. Over here in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, this companion passage of Scripture with regard of a picture of the Lord begins in verse 9 of chapter 5. It says, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy. Now, there's two different descriptions in that versus, versus those thoughts. Uh, one of them is sharing his deity, the other in his humanity. Now, I didn't look this up, but I've heard, and I should have looked it up, that this word ruddy is the same word for Adam found in the Old Testament. Oh, right. Uh, it's, it's a distinguishing mark about the God-man, the Lord Jesus. Now, we notice here he's the chief, chiefest among 10,000, and if we were to say that about the Revelation description, we could say he is the utmost of the utmost. He is the highest of the highest. In fact, he describes himself as the Alpha and Omega. He has every superlative with regard to his character and attributes. Back here in the book of Song of Solomon, it says that his head is the most fine gold and his locks are bushy and black as a raven. Now to the church, that is such a wonderful aspect about the Lord in this view. And over in the book of Revelation, it's such a wonderful view about the Lord to see him in that view. Here, we find that his hair is black like a raven. And it is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ becoming sin for us. And over in the book of Revelation, his hair is white like wool, like snow. That part is over. He will never 
become sin for us. Again, once is enough. And that's what we're going to find as we read through the, uh, several verses in the book of Hebrews about our priest, our great high priest, that when the ministry was finished, when the sacrifice was completed, the ascension took place, never more are we going to find him. The book of Revelation does not share with us, and even uh, the book of Ezekiel shares with us about a hair uh, that is wool. It's white. It's pure. There's no... No thought of sin about the Lord Jesus. Now, I rejoice when I read here in the Song of Solomon about him taking our sin. But once is enough. Never have to have that again. He'll not be sacrificed again. Now, over here it says in verse 12, His eyes were as the eyes of doves. And in the book of Revelation, His eyes are as the flame of fire. And here it says... Uh, uh, by uh, doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as the bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with burial. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. And over in the book of Revelation, we read about his being fine brass. Uh, his mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. And in the book of Revelation, we'll find out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. So these are views of the same person. And the blessing for the church is found here in the Song of Solomon. The blessing for the church is found over here in the book of Revelation, speaking about the, first, the, the same person with some different characteristics and attributes displayed. Now, when we see this picture of the Lord Jesus, we see the Savior's revelation of himself, and he, when he speaks of a garment, it is a garment of absolute perfection. When we read about his garment over here in the book of Revelation, a garment that reaches from here to the ground. And we're going to read over in the book of uh, Exodus that in a very special way was that garment made and it had one hole in it, and that was for the head to go through and was bound so it wouldn't unravel. I just, that's, that's some really interesting thoughts that we could look at. But uh, just one piece sewn together, I mean woven together, with a hole for the head. Now, the closest that I could come to is a serape, but it doesn't. it's not full length. Just a place for your head to go through, and it's not bound off like it's described over there. Now, this garment, it is as perfect a garment as ever been worn. That garment speaks of his righteousness. When we look at, over there in the book of uh, Revelation, when we see, uh, when it speaks of gold, it speaks of the purest of gold. There, uh, I've seen stamps on gold ingots, 99.9% or 999.9. There's still some imperfections there. We wouldn't quibble about it. Someone wanted to give us some that had 999.9. We wouldn't quibble. But when it comes to the Lord, we would. We'd have to, because we want purity. And when we see him, the description about him has to do with gold. It is absolutely the purest. There is no imperfections in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when uh, it speaks of wool, 
it speaks of the purest wool. It, every piece of description about the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely the best. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the ending. And everything about him and all of the clothes that he wore and everything that he had in those verses of Scripture are the absolute purest that could be because it is speaking of him and his character. When we read about his, uh, when we read about fire, it is the purest fire. There is no dirty smoke in that fire. It is the purest of fire. And when we uh, speaks of brass, it is the finest brass. And when we read over there that his voice, it is the most clear voice you have ever heard in your life. There is no imperfections in the voice of the Lord Jesus. It's the purest, clearest, and most relaxing voice. Now, I was given a radio, and I've been taking it out on a job, and I found out that I can work a lot better with, with uh, elevator music than with rock and roll. <laughs> it just clear. It doesn't interfere with you. Now, the Lord's voice is so clear and so distinct and so relaxing there is no disturbance in his voice. There is no concern about whether he got his job done in his voice. There is no record of him being incomplete telegraphed through his voice. He's absolutely the purest and kindest and gentlest and successful and all the descriptions we can make, the voice of the Lord Jesus. And it is a voice that's pure and clear and relaxing, the most delightful voice. And when he, when he speaks, it's a sharp two-edged sword, and we have to say the same thing about that. It is the sharpest two-edged sword. There's no dullness about that. There is every characteristic and attribute of the Lord Jesus Christ as is described here in these verses is superlative the best and we don't we shouldn't have to say best of the best but we will best of the best he has a sharp two-edged sword and the sharpness of that sword will cut even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit it is so sharp, and it's two-edged, and it is a savor of life unto life and a savor of death unto death. And he speaks with this. It's a sharp two-edged sword. It's his word, and his countenance is the brightest and purest and most illuminating and most enjoyable countenance that could be ever seen by a human eye. This countenance is so bright countenance is so pleasing no one that's in the bride of the lord jesus christ shrunks back because of his countenance it is attractive account countenance it promotes us wanting to get closer to his countenance there is nothing that would hinder us from coming in there is nothing about him 
that would cause us to draw back. There is everything about him that would cause us to draw closer. His countenance is so bright and his voice is so clear and he has most white wool, snow white hair. He is the ancient of days. He has no sin. At one time he became sin for us and when that was completed, oh, the white hair that he has displaying his absolute righteousness and there's nothing that would hinder the church from coming close. Now we may do as John did, we may appear to be dead, but there's always the right hand. Now, that's no mistake. It's not just because the writers decided to add the right hand. Who's on the right hand? Welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world is on the right hand. And he deals with John with his right hand, and he's upholding with his right hand. This is so clear about the greatness of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in taking care of his people. Now, uh, the Old Testament priests were nothing more than types and shadows and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one sin was ever forgiven by one priest. It didn't matter whether they were high priests, regular priests, or just plain Levites. Not one of them ever forgave a sin. Now, they may have thought they did. Some of those guys had no uh, better view of Christ as their Savior than a, a hound dog. They just had no concept. They just put into that position by inheritance. When there was no, not one heart was ever changed by those priests. When people came into their presence, they brought their lamb, and the sacrifice was made, their heart was in the same condition when they left as when they came. There's only one that can do that kind of heart work, and that's our great high priest. Now, he was as active in the Old Testament economy as he is today. When it came to saving people, our great high priest had to be active there just like he is now. His characteristics and attributes were just as applicable then as they are now. And this one could change the heart, and this one did forgive sins. And to many of those people, they were no better when they came, <coughs> when they left. <coughs> Same people. Paul mentions this. He said, uh, before God, I felt like I had a clear conscience. When I sinned, I offered the proper sacrifice and went home, and that was it. But he had no change of heart, and his we heard Sonny, he probably had a whole bunch of the Old Testament memorized. The Bible in his day was probably committed to memory and had no more idea what it was all about until after he was saved, and then he could preach Christ out of it. So the Old Testament priests, they had no way of forgiving sin. They had no way of making anybody any better. They could go through all the pronouncements and all of the activities and all of those things, and yet we find that they never once ever from a job description ever got to sit down because the next day it started all over. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to read, he, since he finished his work, sat down. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 39, and there is a tremendous study in this Exodus chapter 39, the description of 
of Aaron and all those who came after him and the clothes they wore and the gold breastplate and all these things that are brought out here are have such uh, so much to say about the Lord Jesus Christ in type and shadow and picture and we see them all absolutely and completely fulfilled in what we read in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Everything that is here, he was able to take care of. All the types and the shadows and the pictures were fulfilled in this one person, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In Exodus chapter 39, beginning with verse 1, and this is in, right in the middle of building the tabernacle and all the descriptions of that, which are pictures, again, of the Lord Jesus. And some could be said about the church uh, in that tabernacle. But here, Exodus chapter 39, verse 1, And of the blue and the purple and the scarlet, they made claws of service to do service in the holy place and made garments, holy garments, for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this whole description is given by the Lord. It was not left up to Moses to go and, well, I think we'll make his clothing look like this. This is from the Lord, and every bit of it had some representation, some picture, some type, some shadow about the righteousness, the holiness, the benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's direction to Moses so that when Aaron came out to do service, he was a picture of the high priest. Every priest that ever walked the face of the earth, even the pretend one now, <laughs> they're less than a picture and a type and a shadow because that's over with. That economy is over with. But these high priests and priests and Levites, they had their work to do, but it was never finished. They had their service to do, but it was never complete. They tarried on this earth as long as they lived. They always knew what they'd be doing the next day because it was prescribed. They knew what they would dress like the next day because it was prescribed. And every step they took, they were a walking picture of the one who was in heaven anticipating coming to this earth. During his ministry here, they were a picture of what he was on earth. And we read about it as he has completed his work. These are just types and shadows and pictures of the one who has completed the work. The high priest took a lamb, and our high priest took a lamb himself, and he sacrificed the lamb, and he sacrificed himself. And he bore our sins on the tree. The high priest in the Old Testament and the priest, they confessed sin over these animals and then slew them. Just pictures. And yet, we find the words were given to them, just like we read in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Now, I'm convinced that that description of the Lord Jesus in the book of Song of Solomon, when it says he had black hair, there wasn't a gray one in it. Not one. And when we read that description of him in the book of Revelation, there's not one dark hair in his head. It's all white. He is not, you know, a whole bunch of uh, evangelicals, quote unquote, are looking for the last red heifer. 
one cow with only red hair. I'm convinced there's only one that's ever been born. Now, if there's another one, that's fine, but it's going to have nothing to do with having any economy going. They're looking for one. They want one more red heifer so they can start the temple sacrifice. That's what they say. But there was only one. And that red heifer was used for centuries. The ashes of that red heifer was used for centuries. Its description was there was no black hair, no white hair. It was all red hair. And it was a picture and a type and a shadow of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we read over there, he has hair like a raven. It's all black. When we read over here, he's got hair like wool. It's all white. There's no this. <laughs> no gray. No white and black. It's all equal. All the same. All right, now. In here, this description, if we looked at how they made these colors, we'd find a great, great story. Scarlet, there was a worm they crushed, collected the blood, dyed the garments. It was only of value when it was crushed. It found out there in the Arabian Peninsula. They crushed it up in a mortar and pedestal. It had a quality about its blood that my blood doesn't have. The blood of this worm did not coagulate when it hit air. Mine does, thank God. <laughs> That's how we clot. But this blood was able to be used as dye, and it was used throughout the tabernacle and throughout all the garments, and it was a picture of a very special blood the blood of our Savior. Verse 2, And he made an ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. And they did beat the gold into thin plates and cut it into wires to work it in the blue and purple and the scarlet and in the fine linen with cunning work. Now that's interesting. Mixing gold with linen and these colors. I'm so thankful that our Savior gave up the glory that he had with the Father and came down to the sin-cursed earth to become our sacrifice. Made shoulder pieces for it to couple it together by two edges. Was it coupled together? Curious girdle of his ephod that was upon it was of the same according to the work thereof of blue, gold, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, he gave the ability of these craftsmen to make the cloth that was going to be used. And he gave the ability to the goldsmiths. And he gave the ability to the dyers. And he gave the ability to the, the uh, linen makers. They had a gift given to them by Almighty God to do what they were doing in a very special way to make clothing for this very particular individual, Aaron. Now, if we back up before Aaron, we find out Abraham was a priest. Noah was a priest. Abel was a priest. There were priests throughout the Old Testament. They were heads of families. They were priests and took care of business for the Lord. But when it came to this point, he ordained, set aside this one Levitical man, man of tribe of Levi, Aaron by name, and he started a whole group of high priests. Now, I was reading this afternoon that by the time the Lord got here, it looks like 
that that job was up for sale because we find high priests, more than one. It's a very influential job. And it was one of these guys that was used to bring to the attention of the Romans, we need this Lord, this Jesus taken care of. And that's what happened. Verse 5, And the curious girdle of his ephod that was upon it was the same according to the work thereof of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen, as the Lord commanded Moses. And they wrought onyx stones enclosed in ouches of gold graven as signets were graven with the names of the children of Israel. Now someone had a really good ability given to them because there were 12 tribes listed here. All of the chosen of God. There wasn't a Hittite, a Hivite, or a Jebusite listed there. They're all the tribes of Israel. And it put the, them on the shoulder of the ephod, and they should be stones for a memorial to the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this, again, is by God's divine command. And it would be a memorial. What's a memorial? As Aaron walked, he could remember. And as the people saw him, they could remember. This priest has a special duty for Israel. And sorry, according to God's design, for no one else. Israel was a special people called out of all peoples. And they are a type of the church of the living God, even though a whole bunch of them had no more concept about God than that rich man did that lifted up his eyes in hell being in torment. Not all Israel is of Israel. That's what Paul said. So it wasn't because you were born an Israelite. It was because you were born again as an Israelite that made the difference. Verse 8, And he made a breastplate of cunning work, like the work of the ephod of gold, Blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. I can't help but think when Aaron was clothed with this, he looked great. You know what the church said? He's altogether lovely. Every stitch is perfect. Every woven piece of linen is perfect from outward observation all that gold was cut just right and threaded through all that cloth and the names there was no mistake made in the spelling of those names and the letters weren't backwards they were all right and when he walked by people could say he's speaking for me He's doing it on my behalf. And when we see the Lord Jesus Christ in his great high priestly work, his great high priestly prayer, I pray not for the world, I pray for my people. His benefit to us, he's speaking for me. He's interceding for me. He's doing this for me. He's dressed like this for me. He's entering into the, into the Holy of Holies for me. He's carrying the blood for me. This is it's grand to see the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest. 
and to see the pictures here as Aaron portrayed a picture of him. And made a breastplate, verse 8, of cunning work. Verse 9, it was a four square. They made the breastplate double. A span was the length thereof and a span the breadth thereof. And I would venture to say you couldn't find with the naked eye any discrepancy when it said four square there was a man that was capable of measuring exact i don't know how many times i heard kids say uh, this is supposed to i'd say this is supposed to be seven and three quarters yours is seven and five eighths what difference does it make <laughs> you know and to a lot of people it doesn't make any difference even about spiritual things but to god it was four square exact get your micrometer out there is no discrepancy this is a representation of our high priest he has fulfilled it in every character in every form and it could be said not only by one by but by all the world i find no fault in him there's no discrepancy there's no error. He is perfect in every way. Even the chains that held these plates was absolutely perfect. As men and women observed the high priest walking by, I believe they said in their minds, that is a beautiful display. Everything is lined up. Everything is beautiful. Now, it goes on to say here, set four rows of stones. The first row was sardis, a topaz, a carbuncle. That was the first row. And every one of these had some representation, something. I, it just it baffles me that these children of Israel escaping Egypt, leaving, and they're going through the desert there, and some way they end up with all these right stones just baffles me you got better things to think about escape and then they spend about two years there at mount sinai and there's a bunch of that time is spent with foolishness and god comes down and cleans house and now he gets serious he says these are the descriptions of you're going to have to get wood you're going to have to carve it just right and make this tabernacle and here's what i want the high priest to look like the second row of emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. A third row of ligure, and agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row of beryl, and onyx, and jasper. They were enclosed in ouches of gold in their enclosings. That's, that's the gold that hangs on to them and holds them. And you know what? The gold didn't diminish the beauty of the stone and the stone didn't diminish the gleam of the gold. It was absolutely beautiful. And when we look at our Savior, we can say, as the church did in the Song of Solomon, even the ouches of gold are beautiful. The carbuncle, that's beautiful. Left out there in the desert looks like just a rock. It's leverite. You pick it up, you look at it, and you leave it right there. It's just leave it right. But made here, it's absolutely beautiful.
Stones were according to the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, every one with his name according to the twelve tribes. And those twelve tribes, when they saw that, they said, thank you, God. And when God's people see their names written down on the Lamb's book of life and see their names inscribed on the hands of our Savior, the, the great high priest, we don't get all built up over it. We just say, thank you, Lord. You remembered me from eternity to eternity. Verse 15, they made up, uh, made upon the breastplate chains of, uh, at the ends of wreathen work of pure gold. And they made two ouches of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings in the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings at, of the ends of the breastplate. And the two ends of the two wreathen chains were fastened to the two ouches and put them over the shoulders on the ephod before it. And they made two rings of gold and put them in the two ends of the breastplate upon the border of it, which was on the side of the ephod inward. And they made two other golden rings and put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart of it, over against the other coupling thereof, all above the curious girdle of the ephod. And they did bind the breastplate by his rings upon the rings of the ephod with the lace of the blue, that it might be above the curious girdle of the ephod, that the breastplate might not be loosed from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. This is all how he did it. Now, let's, well, the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was a hole in the midst of the robe as a hole of a herbergon, and that means a piece of uh, coat of mail. Uh, it, was a, it was a defensive weapon, but your head went through it, and it covered the rest of you. And with a band round about the hole that it should not rend. Fine, well, it's not going to come undone. I just look at that, and I say, my goodness, what a statement about God's work not going to come undone. It's bound up, and it's purposeful. And they made it into the hems of the uh, robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and twine linen. And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates upon the hem of the robe round about the pomegranates. Pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell around this garment that had one hole in it that your head went through. And these pomegranates and bells around it decorated, but every step Aaron took. You could hear tinkle, 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 tinkle. He was about his business, and it was melodious sound. And we can say the same thing about the work of our Savior. Oh, what sweet music. Catches my ear. And when they were in the Holy of Holies. Tinkle, 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 tinkle as they spread the blood on the mercy seat. As the body moved, so did the garment. And as the garment moved, so did the bells. Tinkle, tinkle. What melodious sound <coughs> when the blood was applied to the mercy seat. And what melody in our hearts when God stirs it and we know that he spent his time at the mercy seat for us. 
Bell and a pomegranate, verse 26. Bell and a pomegranate, round about the hem of the robe to the minister in it, in the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made coats of fine linen and woven work for Aaron and for his sons, a miter of fine linen, goodly bonnets of fine linen, and linen breeches of fine twine linen, and a girdle of fine twine linen, blue and purple and scarlet, of needlework as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it in a writing like to the engravings of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. And they tied it upon it in a lace of blue to fasten upon the, high upon the mitre as the Lord commanded Moses. Now those kids that are watching us all as Aaron goes by, not one of them could ever say, you know, I think my mama designed that. Not one of them could ever say, uh, you know, they must have found that out of a catalog. Because how many times did we find in that as the Lord commanded Moses? This is what a picture. This is a clear picture. <laughs> Not too long ago, I found a a uh, photograph. It was a, a postcard, probably made in the 20s, 19, maybe teens or 20s, of a hotel that sat right on the property where my dad owned. And it was the best hotel between San Francisco and Portland. In the teens, it had hot and cold running water. Now, the fellow that took this picture was using a camera about this big. And that picture was so clear you can see a vase in one of the windows and you can see people standing around you see women with their bonnets on and you can see the trash in the foreground an old broken barrel you see the corner of a of a depot that used to sit there it was just magnificent you just look around and my brother and i were talking about it over the phone i sent it to him i wanted to buy it but it went so high i just sent the picture to him and he printed it off and we're talking about it and looking at it and how clear and distinct this picture. Well, I said that to say this. Look at this picture of Christ. So clear and distinct. There is such fine needlework. And every one of those is a representation of such fine, clear work of our Savior. Now, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. The book of Hebrews is so beneficial to us to look at the Old Testament high priests, priests and Levites, and then come over here to the book of Hebrews, and the Holy Spirit allowed the Apostle Paul to share with us, this is what it means. Here's the picture. Here's what it means. This is Aaron. This is his clothing. This and here's what it means to us in our Savior. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, if you would. Hebrews chapter 5. I just would like to read several verses in here, uh, the book of Hebrews. And starting with Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6, we read these words. And several times we're going to be reading about an uh, Old Testament priest that's not brought up very often, but is so valuable. 
found in the book of Genesis, a couple times in the Psalms, and several times here in the book of Hebrews. And his name is Melchizedek. And it says the Lord is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. He says he's without father and without mother, without beginning of days and without end of days. Now when Abraham came back from the victory over the kings, he met Christ. His, I don't know what the word is, but there's a word about that. He met the Lord in a human body before he came and was born with a human body. He met Melchizedek and he paid tithes to him. And Melchizedek gave him the gospel. Bread and wine. Broken body, shed blood. The gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now read with me here in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're a priest forever. He never had a beginning of the priesthood because he's always had it. In the council halls of eternity, he was the priest forever. Melchizedek, when he met with Abraham, he's, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Christ come down to visit. But he is a, such a wonderful statement about our high priest. Then, if you look with me in chapter 6, chapter 6 and verse 20, as we look at this, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest. Now, did you notice that to begin with? Whether the forerunner is for us entered. That's <laughs> so valuable. So valuable. So important to us. He's entered for us. It says there in Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and verse 20, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then in, chap in the, uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11, these words, if therefore perfection were made by the Levitical priesthood. Now, we just read over there, and there's a whole bunch about that I don't understand. Whole bunch about his clothing, whole bunch about his miter, whole bunch about all of that. We're surmising. I mean, I've never seen that, and I don't, well, no one person told me one time, says, if I could see Noah's Ark, then I'd believe. Sorry. Nope. It won't make any difference to anybody to ever see Noah's Ark. And it wouldn't make anybody any difference to see this robe over there. No. If they'll not believe Moses and the prophets, they'd not believe though one rose from the dead. That's what Abraham said. Now, Sarah's here, beginning in uh, chapter eleven, chapter 7, verse 11. If therefore perfection were made by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood, 
And it is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know what that means? He was ordained. <laughs> he was ordained a priest. But so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Now there were a couple of them that we read about. They brought in a strange fire and they died, we'd say prematurely, but they were on time. I don't read of anybody ever abdicating priesthood. They all went out of this world by death. They just didn't quit. That was there. But this man, because he continueth ever. Now that's what makes the that picture of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation chapter 1 so delightful. Because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Now, through the Old Testament era, we have a priest after the order of Melchizedek walking through time, saving his people from their sins. And then we have priests after the Levitical priesthood who didn't save anybody, didn't keep anybody, didn't make anybody holy. But we have the, this priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, which is an eternal priesthood, walking down through the same time, calling out his people, and as we read in the book of Revelation, making them king priests. Kings and priests made them. This oh, uh, Aaron, he's doing his duties, and here's the gospel being declared by the prophets, the gospel being declared by the priests, gospel being declared by the kings, and the priest after the order of Melchizedek is applying that, and he's not mixing in with the Levitical priesthood. He's not mixing in with the law of Sinai. He's not involved in that in the sense that of redemption. They're just two strains. One's Levitical, one's after the order of Melchizedek. And they never go this way. And they never go this way. And they never marry. They're not even introduced in the same household. It's the household of faith. And then the household of Israel. It wasn't these that were the gospel. The gospel was being declared. And the priest after the order of Melchizedek was saving his people. And Aaron was just doing his thing as it was commanded by the Lord. We may have the Lord's Supper. We may have baptism commanded by the Lord. But separate from those types and shadows and pictures, 
is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, accomplishing his will, as we read there in the book of Revelation and book of Hebrews here. Book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says there, uh, verse uh, 18, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof, for the law made nothing perfect. Verse 20, and as inasmuch as not without an oath he was made. Verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, not a, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forever. Now, as we read this about this high priest, we're looking at him in Revelation chapter 1. This is that high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. One that does not give up his priesthood due to death. This priest ever liveth to make intercession for his people. This priest has always applied his great high priestly prayer made in the book of John chapter 17. He applied it to Abel, Noah, David, Solomon. Throughout the Old Testament, he applied his great high priestly prayer to them. He made a sacrifice of himself. Fulfilled the words that were recorded in the book of Genesis by Isaac and by Abraham. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And there it was. He provided himself and he provided it. He is the only priest that ever offered a lamb and he was the lamb. He's the only priest that didn't send a scapegoat out into the woods. He took our sin as far as the east is from the west by himself. And now we have this high priest described, hair like wool, white as snow, raiment shineth as glory. What's it speak of? The wonderful accomplishments of the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus, of the line of the tribe of Judah, this high priest accomplished all when he said, it is finished. And now we see him in his glory as a priest. The robe reaches down to the ground. Gold around the chest. Hair like wool. Out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. This is our great high priest. And he's going to share a message with these people. Seven churches of Asia. Write what you read. And if you follow the message he sent to those seven churches, it's an accumulation of what we have in Christ. Overcoming, overcoming. 
he overcame. Now, in conclusion, would you turn back with me to the book of Revelation chapter 1? John turned, verse 13, there in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment to the foot. We could say, well, it was probably linen and probably had one hole in it, and it was bound up well. This is the fulfillment of every statement ever made about an Old Testament priest. Here is the priest. Gird about the chest with a golden girdle. Names written on it. Millions and millions of names. A number of names that no man can number out of every kindred, people, and tongue. His hair, his head and his hairs were white like wool. Oh, the perfect righteousness of Christ. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Nothing passes him. That's such a positive statement. He, they, he knows the feeling of our infirmities. No priest like this priest. He knows our heart. He reads us like a book. And it says his feet like refined brass. I appreciated what our speaker last year at camp said. He read over there about... Uh, the three Hebrew children in the burning fiery furnace and one like the Son of Man was in there, the Son of God. And it says here that he had his feet were like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And he, he, was, he went up against all our sin. Voice is the sound of many waters. Oh, so clear, so distinct, so pleasant. He holds no charge against his people. has nothing against them. And then it says here, I got the word. And that's what he speaks. Right hand with seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was the sun shineth in his strength. To the children of God, they only ever get to see one edge of that sword. Just one edge cutting away the old life, cutting away. We're going to read about a group of people that are beheaded. Oh my, what a sharp sword he uses to cut off our all of our feelings and thoughts and relationship to Adam and gives us a new head, and that head is our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. We'll stop.